What gives a place its sense of place? How is it that some books make you feel like you have actually traveled somewhere, visited a particular town and time? What distinguishes music with a strong regional flavor from a generic top 40 hit? And what's the difference between a chili dog from your hometown and a chili dog from mine? All these little things add up to one big question. Where are y'all from? What are you drinking? A cherry old fashioned because I'm out of oranges. So just sugar, bourbon, and cherries? And bitters. Yum. Yeah. It's in a mason jar. Nice. <laughs> which you can't see on a podcast, but it's in a mason jar. No, I made simple syrup. You'd be proud. Ooh, nice. Very proud. Keep it in the fridge. What are you drinking? Uh, a Manhattan. And did you notice, maybe it's because I edited the audio and like poured over this audio, but um, you can hear ice clinking in the first episode of our. <laughs> of our you can, I could, I could hear a place where I set my glass down. Maybe that can, it can just be part of our aesthetic, mm -hmm. the realness of it. Were you about to talk about your braces? I was, I was. Okay, so before we welcome our first official guest, we have to have a moment of sibling commiseration here oh, about uh, life, a lifetime journey with orthodontia. <sighs> Um, so apparently the five years of braces and five years of other stuff I had as a kid were not enough. So now I am in braces again. It's a long story. I don't really want to talk about it other than to whine. Um, but also to just let people know in case it sound weird, like weirder than usual, because <laughs> I'm still learning how to talk around these things again. I, I feel like a teenager, but not in a good way. Uh, it, it would be a struggle to figure out who had it worse between the two of us. Mine was all concentrated in like 10 years of hell and yours was spread over 40. So I, <laughs> I think you had it worse for sure because of the invasive surgical procedure and the, the yeah. nerve damage from the surgery. Forget about that too. Well, that too. Tell, tell the people yeah. about that. I still have some numbness on my face, actually. I feel like a, my lower lip is numb and, uh, but the surgery, the jaw surgery I have was like six hours long. And when they laid me on the table, I was like positioned in a weird way. And um, pretty much, you know, if your uh, arm falls asleep in the night, your body wakes up and says, hey, you need to shake this out. And uh, I was under a lot of anesthesia and wasn't able to do that. So I missed some blood flow and nerve damage. And it still is a bit, a bit tingly and uh, not quite all there. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man. Good, man. How are you all? Good. Good. It's good to see you. You didn't have to put on a shirt. For I was us. just going to say you didn't have to dress up. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. Here's here's my basketball short. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. She just asked me. I told her your kids were having a meltdown. She asked me how old they were, and I'm such a bad uh, god. I'm such a bad god roommate. I don't know. <laughs> god roommate. <laughs> exactly. Uh, three and one and a half. Oh, that's pre I was pretty close. Yeah. Let me. I'm going to give you like a word of encouragement. It, it's good to have them that close together, even if these years, like the toddler years are a lot, it's exhausting, but we had ours two years apart. And so you have those really intense diaper years and learning to walk years and yeah. meltdown years. But then all of a sudden they're like this little unit and they're, 
they're close and they entertain each other and they kind of police each other and you can just turn them loose. Oh man. I'm a big fan. Somewhere around like four and six, five and seven. It just, okay. it gets magical much easier. All right. Well, that's, that's, thank you. That's great to know. <laughs> Corey has yeah. an Instagram series called uh, kids interrupting my practice. <laughs> And there are many episodes, and they have a common theme, uh, if you can imagine. It's pretty, it's pretty great. All right, uh, Corey Cottle is a piano-playing sensation from Prestonsburg, Kentucky. Uh, I've heard many a story from his parents about him wandering over to the white grand piano and plunking out the melody to John Williams' Superman theme when he was still in diapers. I think uh, the underside of that piano bench uh, had a hole where Jerry Lee Lewis once put his foot through it, if I'm not mistaken, but that's a story for another time. Uh, he grew up as a flagship performer in Prestonsburg's Kentucky Opry, a recurring variety show comprised of the best talent Eastern Kentucky has to offer. I first met Corey in 2003 when we both attended the Governor's School for the Arts program in Kentucky. I'll never forget watching him play for the first time and watching other people watch him play for the first time. And that is something I still never get tired of. Corey is a graduate of Belmont University, where he had the same super cool and awesome roommate for all four years. He majored in commercial piano performance and was featured in the Commercial Music Showcase, an annual performance that presents the most promising artists in the School of Music to leading industry professionals. He's been touring with country music star Justin Moore for over a decade now and was recently signed to Sweet 28 Records, a branch of Naxos of America that was established to promote talented artist whose music transcends traditional genre constraints. Did I miss anything there or anything else you want me to mention? <laughs> um, uh, the main thing we're doing, we have a company called Inside Music Nashville. Uh, it's a writing and production house in Nashville or with studios in Nashville, Tennessee and Toronto, Ontario. Well, thanks for joining us, Corey. It's good to see you. I, Chris mentioned you all being roommates for four years and I, I remember coming to, to see y'all when you were freshmen, just first moved on campus. But what I really remember coming your all senior year and I, I was living, you know, other side of the country, but I had come in for, it was probably either graduation or Chris's senior recital. And my mom and I came down and we're kind of helping move, move y'all out of the dorm or whatever campus apartments you were on. And we went and looked in the fridge and we were really scared. We were really scared to oh, open God. the fridge. But it was like you had two beers and some ketchup. <laughs> and I think that was all. <laughs> and we we're like, well, at least we don't have to clean it. So that's good. We were just, I should have known though, like Chris is so Chris that there would never have been a, a dirty fridge in, or appliance of any sort in any <laughs> living space he ever occupied. So, well, Chris, Chris is Chris, but I, uh, when, um, my wife Amanda and I moved in together. I started piling up this big old list of things I need to apologize to Chris for <laughs> uh, because he was really kind just to kind of let me go and do my thing and probably just shook his head a million times a day. He's like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he's not only a really fun killer roommate, but he's a very patient person. Uh, in hindsight, I'm looking back at college and thinking, how did anybody live with that dude? Still, I don't know, but uh, well, it was all worth it because you were the only roommate that never drank. You were the you were always the DD, and so uh, <laughs> I'll tell your mom right now on on this very popular 
podcast that's going out all over the world that, that you didn't touch <laughs> you didn't touch a drop of the drink all through college. So those two beers in the fridge were yours. Is yeah, what right. You're saying, so. <laughs> well, no, he got me started drinking Coors Light my last semester of college. Okay, nice. okay, that's probably what I saw. From there. That's a claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Corey, you're from Prestonsburg. I haven't lived in Kentucky all my life. I don't think I have ever been to Prestonsburg, although I did have a couple of good friends from college who were there. Okay. But let, let's assume that most of our listeners have also never been to Prestonsburg. <clears throat> what would you tell them? Just paint, a, paint us a picture. Take us on a little trip. Awesome. Well, uh, so Prestonsburg is it, different than Chris and I probably um, like for, when we moved to Nashville, people would say, well, I'm from a small town and so and so. It turns out they're from 30 miles outside of Chicago and that's the small <laughs> town or what. Um, Prestonsburg uh, is in eastern Kentucky. It's the county seat of Floyd County. And my family is actually from the southern part of Floyd County. So we use Prestonsburg just as something to relate to. Uh, but where my family originates from in Floyd County is actually as deep as you can get in rural Appalachia without having to turn around. Mm. Uh, it actually, it, it stopped with a dead end. Uh, so small towns look a little bit different there. So Prestonsburg has uh, got a population now of about 4,000 people and it's the county seat. Uh, and it's part of a little s- string of three cities, Prestonsburg, Pikeville, and Paintsville. And because Prestonsburg is uh, not a suburb, it kind of serves as its own um center in that in that region it actually has quite a few things going on uh when i was growing up it had a lot you know and i had some opportunities there as a musician uh that i wouldn't have got had i grown up in a major metropolitan area mm-hmm. so uh it's two hours from the nearest interstate so lexington was as big a city as we got and it was a big deal to get there and growing up there before social media was something that made the world such a small place um we carried a lot of stereotypes with us. So like when I met Chris or when I went to GSA for the first time, there was, I didn't know that we had a great music scene in Prestonsburg. I just assumed that if these guys were that good, I could never compete going to Lexington or Nashville or whatever. And um, so it, it, it was a unique time to grow up there. And I tell people that, uh, I'm really thankful for it because it afforded me a lot of opportunities that uh, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Like the Kentucky Opry, for one, that's one thing. Like when I talk about the head start you kind of got, you know, yeah. I learned so much from you. Mm-hmm. You were almost like one of my professors in college because I learned so much from you that I didn't even learn uh, in the classical program, you know, because you were a commercial guy. But um, I try to explain to people that you have been doing what I have been doing in college since you were like six it's kind of insane. Yeah. And uh, we also talk a lot about how just how many incredibly talented musicians live in that little cluster of, yeah. the, of the state. It's really, there's really not an explanation for it. Oh, there. no, there, there's not. And it, um, it, it's a world-class pool of musicians. So we're starting to see more of them, the artists uh, in our generation become more known. Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson, um, a fellow that dad actually created a youth program for uh, about Marks or Tyler Childers. Uh, he built an entire series with Tyler and another kid in mind to make sure they had a, a stage to play on. And, um, and beyond the artists, there's session musicians, there's classical musicians, there's bluegrass pickers. And 
Uh, these are all people who are among the best in the world at what they do, and they're all within this little 100-mile radius. It's, it, it's crazy, but it, it's, uh, it's a cool thing to have had access to. Hmm. Do you think the area draws musicians or creates and produces musicians? I think it absolutely creates them. Um, I, I think that uh, it's, it's a part of, it, it's just, it's a part of the culture. It, it's not just the thing people do. It, it's just, uh, I think for a majority of the population back there, doing something musical is just the same as what I got to eat today. And that's mm. just part of your life. Probably because of church. Everybody's ties to, to their local church and their church family. And that's just how people communicate. When somebody passes away, uh, I mean, gosh, my granny passed away. It was just a five-day gospel scene, mm-hmm. and the whole community comes to it, and that's that's just what you do. You you have been so many places as a as an Eastern Kentucky musician, and I know that the you strongly identify with where you come from. Have you in, in the circles that you have run in? Have you had anybody in the business? I'm going to say capital T, capital B, the business. <laughs> uh, try to tell you that you need to lose the accent if you're going to make it out there in the whatever bigger mm-hmm. music scene. Fortunately, I haven't. Um, but maybe that's because I moved to Nashville uh, for, to make, make me see. I, I guess Chris or I or myself could have moved to Los Angeles or New York to try to do the same sort of things. But um, I think I moved to a safe place for, for a soft-hearted, fragile uh, little <laughs> solo <laughs> at the time. Well, but I, I know what you're, what you're asking, and, um, that uh, it's just as much about the accent as much as uh, I think there, there's a, a, a sort of timid nature that people can make their carry with themselves, too, and that's part of it. And um, it's very common for folks in the music industry to be told you need to be more this and be more this. It, it's a real thing. You hear about it, but it's it's a... The things you hear are, are accurate. I've, I've been fortunate not to be on the receiving end of any of it. But. Well, good. That's refreshing. That's good to hear because you've clearly made a career of not just being kind of a prodigy musician, but also being authentic. It's not something you extract from, from who you are to go sit and play in this one venue. So I'm glad that, that the uh, Nashville scene and other <laughs> places you've been have, have let you let you be you and keep that part of yourself. So that's good. Thank you. I am too. So talk about what you're working on now. Like what kind of projects do you have going on? Um, so I'm somehow in the middle of this COVID mess and everything. I've wound up being busier than I've ever been. Uh, and I think if you're in the music business, one, if you can find work, you're doing great even before COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're very fortunate. Uh, two, if you can find work that you enjoy, um, I mean, that's just a major icing on the cake that so few people get. You're doing really, really well. And three, if you can actually um, make a sustainable living at it, you know, that uh, you somehow piece together this magical puzzle. Um, and I've been building some things for the last 10 years that are finally starting to uh, show signs of, I guess, working out. Um, the last two years, uh, I've been building a writing production house with my business partner, Mark Costanzo. Um, Mark is a brilliant producer, developer, songwriter, publisher. He's got experience in publishing, but he's most known because he had uh, the band Lynn 
uh, he had the song uh, "If You Steal My Sunshine." Oh yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'll ask him, "Hey man, what are you doing for his Halloween?" Lauren's the guy from Lynn. What are you doing? So he and he has this whole crew of people who work in pop music and they do it really, really well. People who live that scene in LA and London and UK. And we find crossover points where that music blends with Nashville commercial. So we just developed a system where uh, he and I have uh, a partnership that takes good songs and is going to um, hopefully get them get them heard by a lot of people uh, in commercial music. And beyond that, we like to produce songs for other people and we collaborate with other folks in the music industry. And we've got a couple studios, um, which has been a lifelong dream of mine. And uh, the second thing that we're doing is I have a partnership with the Episcopal Church with their main offices. And we're doing a concert series called The Concert for the Human Family. We started planning for that about two and a half years ago as well and their goal was originally to um, take some of these beautiful spaces they have these cathedrals that are gorgeous gothic architecture um, or in uh, major metropolitan areas like the Washington National Cathedral or St. Bart's in Manhattan and allow them to be concert venues for a night so that people from all backgrounds from all political perspectives just they have a reason to go inside those spaces uh, or that's that's more welcoming than what they might typically associate that kind of thing with. Hmm. But while that is um, made to be like a very welcoming place for everybody and folks from all backgrounds, uh, they've, they've been very encouraging in, in allowing us to make music and record records for the concert series that are, um, that give people voices that need to be heard. Uh, and most of the series is based on their, the church's work in racial reconciliation. Uh, the first record that we've got coming out on that is a collaboration with myself and a hip hop artist from Baltimore named Wordsmith. And uh, he and I found a way of saying, okay, uh, my friend Mark um, said, hey, why don't you two do this? Because here's what's going on on the planet he has something to say, you have something to say. Uh, and let's put it down on recording and let's filter it into the concert series. And so Wordsmith just did a wonderful job of talking about his experiences as an African-American in 2020. And we made some musical uh, arrangements with him and around that, we touched on some of the struggles Appalachia's going on, going through right now. And uh, we got the record recorded, and it's going to be part of the concert series. So uh, beyond that, the church is creating, um, taking the steps towards creating a record label, and they're going to be giving voices to a lot of people who deserve to have voices um, in the mainstream music world without forcing them to go through all the hurdles that they might otherwise go through. So hmm. it's a lot going on, and I'm kind of <laughs> steering the old ship myself, so I forget a lot of things. <laughs> That sounds incredible. When's the it's release? Cool. The release will be of two records on that series will be May 21st. 20th or 21st, wherever that Friday is. Take all my money. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear that they are focusing on racial reconciliation. Uh, running in mainline church circles myself, I know it's just so maddening sometimes how reluctant folks are to 
to even talk about race and to name out loud that there is an issue Mm -hmm. that needs to be dealt with. And at the same time, the church has so much power and authority to, to be able to have a valuable voice in that conversation. So what an amazing way to approach that by, you know, creating an, an an artistic venue and, and sort of uh, using that to create space for yeah, our, for deeper conversations. You just nailed it. That's exactly what they're doing. Um, and I it's definitely not a position that all humble aside, it's not something I deserve to be doing. And it has been very educational for me. And I, there's, I've learned a lot, a lot of things that I wish I had known and learned a long time ago, um, just throughout the process. And the conversations we have have been life-changing. Uh, I think a lot of us are learning a lot right now and especially coming from Eastern Kentucky. And that's, that's part of the tension of being from that part of the world and then going to live somewhere else. You love your hometown. You identify strongly with it. You would fiercely defend the home front against, you know, any, anybody looking down their nose, but you know, there, there's an issue. There's really an issue with race and privilege and not, not wanting to recognize or engage the things that are happening in other kinds of communities and other spaces. And so I, I'm just really, I'm really excited to see where, where you go with this. Uh, Wordsmith and I were talking about that the other day. And I said, I, my dream is that if his children and my children want to make a record, nobody has to talk about the fact that they look different. They just mm. made music. Because Wordsmith and I started a musical relationship just because we love each other's music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was in no way attached to any of this stuff. And as we were making the record, George Floyd was murdered. Well, you've got two kids now, which are close together in age. We talked about um, when you when you think about all of this in the context of being a parent now, other than the uh, Instagram kids interrupt my practice thread, how has being a dad affected you as a musician? Well, there's probably a million things I could tell you that everybody who's a parent knows. Um, uh, the, the thing that's changed most for me, uh, aside from uh, the obvious stuff of me figuring out what matters and what doesn't. I mean, I don't get tore up over half the stupid stuff I used to no more because, mm. uh, but the main thing for me is how do I use music and the, the platforms that I've built and take advantage of the people around me and the resources that I've got access to, to have some type of impact on leaving them a, a better go at it when they're my age. Um, so, I mean, I, we, we brought Annalie into the world when I, I don't know how how deep y'all go on here, but uh, well, I mean, we wrote in her baby book, we filled it out. What was the gas price? What was this? Well, who was the president? And I'm like, man, there's somebody in office who's bragging about grabbing women, and I've got to put this in her baby book that mm-hmm. I was part mm-hmm. of society that elected this. It's, that was okay with that, you know. And um, I don't think anybody's on a high horse with that stuff, but I just. Uh, far as I'm concerned uh, but I've done a million stupid things but um, I look at it and say well uh, being a parent has caused me to stop making music 
it don't matter. Ooh. So at least I hope it matters. It, it matters to me, and uh, I, I hope they'll grow up seeing that. Mm. I'm sure they will. That's very cool. You've also got an album of like not lullabies, but like kid friendly music and inspired by your firstborn, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah. She, uh, uh, <laughs> the funny thing, Amanda probably won't mind me telling y'all, but uh, Amanda is just the complete opposite of me as far as her musical taste, and I love it. But I had I made some songs that were synced up to uh, the tempo of Annalise's heart rate during her ultrasounds. Whoa! So, um, Amanda was probably just like, she's going to be great no matter what. And I'm like, I, no, 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 put this phone up to your bed. And tell you <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we did that. And I, oddly enough, had a, uh, and a lot of people say that that was their, their favorite album. And I'm thinking, well, all the money I spent for these other things, and I could have just sat down with the piano. That's like next level dad stuff right there. <laughs> Think, what would you want your kids to know about the place you grew up and or can you envision ever moving back to raise your family there? That's a good question. Uh, and it, gosh, I, it, it's really difficult for me because I love it there so much. Um, what I think it's important for my kids to know is that where I'm from in Eastern Kentucky is a good example of what can happen if you only focus on the, the pleasant things and the stuff that you like to focus on uh, and ignore uh, problems. Mm -hmm. So I think that I would want my kids to know that this is a great place and it's built on the backs of our ancestors who powered an entire country and they did it often uh, without even getting paid in American currency. They got paid in script. Uh, okay. It's, it's, it's been home to some of the strongest and most hardworking and just culturally rich people uh, in American history. Um, and that's got away from us back there. And I think that we failed to acknowledge it. Um, so uh, I, I think right now we're seeing it become the leftovers from, from those kind of things. Um, and I think that uh, I would always like to be able to do something that helps provide a solution to it back there because I, I love it back there. And if I could live back there, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. Well, and people yeah, always ask me why I ended up in Nashville and you kind of touched on it earlier. If you're going to be a musician, you either need to live in New York, LA or Nashville. And Nashville is the only one of those three that has a Southern um, personality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's black and white different from the place we grew up, but it's still way more similar to eastern Kentucky than it is New York City. Yeah, True. It runs at a certain pace. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that, um, like, my partners, they're having come from the, the L.A. scene and the New York scene up in Toronto and in England. They're always saying, I guess this is going to happen at the Nashville speed, the speed of Nashville, which is just, <laughs> Okay, well, that sounds good. Well, I'll, I'll uh, take off and I'll take a look at it and I'll call you back. <laughs> you know, but the rest of the world is just um, my takeaways from visiting New York is always that well, people aren't rude, they just don't have time. And Nashville is the only place that I think you and I, Chris, could find where people just allow themselves to, to have time and to appreciate the things that we appreciate as Southerners. Well, um, 
I know you said you haven't heard our pilot yet. I highly recommend it. It's up for a few awards already. But um, we, we talked a lot about London, which you've obviously driven through to get to the interstate from Prestonsburg. But we talked about how one thing that can always bring you back home like that is food. Yeah. And we talked about a restaurant that we really like. So what is the Prestonsburg restaurant or dish that you are thinking of right now that like if you had it in front of you, it would just bring it all back? My, my mouth just started watering thinking of a Billy Ray's pool hall burger. Ooh, tell mm. us about a pool hall burger. I, I don't know the secrets, um, <laughs> but I've had a burger in every state of the country and I had nothing close. And that's not just me being uh, sentimental about it because it's my hometown. I mean, they, it's, that place is special. Well, there must be something about pool halls in small town Kentucky because we talked about Weaver's Chili Dogs, which used to be a pool hall too. So there's pool uh, hall chili and there's pool hall burgers now. So mm. so tell us about the ambiance at Billy Ray's. What's it? Is well, it still a pool hall? They, they renovated it about five or six years ago. Well, maybe longer than that now. Now it's got this really... It's in Southern Living Magazine, just really nice space. It, it used to be, you know, the cafeteria style seats and red walls and red carpet smoke everywhere. And mm -hmm. the recipe stayed the same, though. Nice. Oh, I'm homesick just hearing about it. I've never been I there. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the one thing about East Kentucky, and thank God I room with Chris, is Chris is actually the person who explained to me the difference in a Democrat and a Republican. <laughs> Ooh, and interesting. For all the things that uh, that he's talked about musically that that I um, might have showed him or something, he showed me exponentially more about just being a human being. I mean, <laughs> trying to be a decent one. So, wow. Well, I'm flattered, but I don't know if that's a compliment or not, because... <laughs> not the way I turned out, it might not be. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I that's why we asked you to be our first guest. <laughs> That's right. We appreciate your patience. We are clearly amateur podcasters oh, and we're getting our feet wet here. And this is a really great first interview. Like, it's well, perfect. I'm, I'm honored. I'd have been pissed if you had anybody else. <laughs> <laughs>